Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Soul Patrol Jesus 911 two man car. Jess Romero, Paul Clay. Two topics I want to talk about today. Oh, by the way, uh, just a uh, welcome family. This is the month of November. It's dedicated to commemorating all who have died and uh, departed to their heavenly home. We hope, we pray. Uh, let's make sure that uh, that uh, we're praying our rosaries every single day, going to Mass as often as possible, offering our prayers for those who have departed and are in purgatory, being purified by the fires of God's love and God's justice as well. Uh, this month we kicked it off with All Saints Day, All Souls Day, uh, and we hope and pray that uh, uh, that that uh, the souls of our family especially, we should be praying every single day for the souls of our departed family, that's an after-meal prayer. The, the after-Catholic meal prayer goes like this, in case you're wondering. The before, there's a before-meal and an after-meal in Catholicism. The after-meal prayer goes like this. Uh, Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord, and let your perpetual light shine upon them. Uh, and and may, the souls of the fir- may the souls of the faithful departed through the mercy of God rest in peace. Amen. That's a traditional Catholic after-meal prayer. Why? Because after you've eaten and you're satisfied and your belly's full, as, as uh, the Bible says, that you know your belly is your God, uh, we want to pray for those people who are not satiated, not satisfied, and are still being purified. So don't forget to to bump up your prayer life for the holy souls in purgatory in the month of November. First thing I want to talk about, I want to talk about about Ember Days first with Paul. Ember Days, then we'll uh, the first two segments, then the last two segments. I want to talk about Pope Francis, the war and holy places. So let's jump in right into Ember Days. And Paul, you and me were talking right before the show. Um, <laughs> Ember Days, let me just give a little, a little definition here, and then, then we'll, I, I want to get your feedback, and I'll give you my feedback as well. And, uh, there was four periods of the year in the traditional calendar of the church that used to mark Ember Days. And these days are attached to different natural seasons of spring, summer, autumn, and winter. And they were days of fast and abstinence. And this was, this was so up until the time of Pope Paul VI, when they were not included in times of mandatory fast and or abstinence. And this was changed, this was relaxed in 1966. Now, I don't... When I look at the 60s, I don't think we should have relaxed Catholic practices. In fact, I think we should have uh, turbocharged them or, 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 or as they say in the army, you know, uh, uh, continue the mission, you know, continue the mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 60s was a bad time in the, in the country. And so to, to relax the practices of fasting and, and, and mandatory fasting and penance. And I got no, I got no problem with the, with the term mandatory because the, the, the church is our mother. And if the church mandates something, that's fine with me. Like, just like the church gave the apostles a mandate, a mandatum. So I got no problem with, with the church mandating or obligating because church is our mother. The church can do that. But uh, now the Ember Days have been removed from the new calendar. So most people like myself that has that have grown up post-1960s, you know, uh, <clears throat> we only heard about the Ember Days when we started going back to the Latin Mass. And we started learning, what is this? 
the fact that uh, that Holy Mother Church, you know, in a regular cycle, uh, calls the faithful to start fasting and to and to abstain from meat. That's a good practice. And I want to hear from Paul. And I'll tell you why it's a good practice, because this is found in the Old and the New Testament. And in fact, our Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter six, he doesn't he doesn't uh, assume uh, he doesn't uh, uh, opine or he doesn't suggest that people should fast. He says, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites or the tax collectors. So it's assumed by our Lord that this is part and parcel of the Christian life. This is part of the interior life of the Christian is fasting. And it also reminds me in Mark chapter 9, there's another passage where the apostles, they can't drive out a demon. And they go to our Lord and they said, Lord, we, we can't drive this, this demon out. And our Lord says, some demons can only be driven out through prayer and fasting. Well, now that we know that, I just scratch my head here in 2023 and I ask myself, I ask respectfully, why did Pope Paul VI get rid of this in 1966? I just don't know what he was thinking about, especially again, the 60s was a bad time in the country. Uh, I think as Catholics, we should have just uh, doubled down on our faith and not... Uh, not not capitulate to the culture. Paul, what say you? I know you probably got a lot to say about this topic. <laughs> hey, Jess, uh, good morning. Listen, um, you know, we can't keep a myopic view of the world. We have to understand that not just the country, but the world, right? Our church is a worldwide church. And so we tend to look at things from, you know, from our own experience and what's going on in our country. But uh, I would say that, uh, you know, from the time of Leo the 13th, when he got that vision where um, Satan was going to be given a certain amount of power uh, 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 over the church and uh, uh, in, in, in his influence, uh, basically in the world, uh, we've seen this decline. A um, couple of things that I want to bring up is number one. Um, you mentioned a couple of articles about, uh, you know, let's look at it right now in uh, Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, uh, verse 16, when you fast, don't make yourselves look sad like the hypocrites. They put a look of suffering on their faces so that people will see they are fasting. The truth is, that's all the reward they will get. So when you fast, wash your face and make yourself look nice. Uh, then no one will know you are fasting except your father who is with you even in private. He can see what is done in private and will reward you. You know, um, when I read that, Jess, it just emphasizes to me of, you know, that we all need to have a good uh, personal prayer life. And if you don't, um, you know, you're just kind of going through the motions. Uh, when we were talking, you mentioned um, that Pope Paul VI, you couldn't really understand. It was a head scratcher as to why he allowed these ember days to be, you know, left off the calendar. But in reality, in hindsight, when I look back and I see, um, uh, you know, all the changes that were taking place from the Latin mass 
to eventually, by the, by the time 1970 rolled around, we had the Novus Ordo mess where these things were basically left out. Um, I think that, uh, you know, the modernists that were involved in uh, Vatican II, this was by intention. I don't think it was a mishap because like you said, um, uh, when we focus certain things and especially when we're talking about spiritual warfare, that can only be accomplished by prayer and fasting. And that's a robust prayer life. And, and I always say on, on, the, on this program, right, um, the law prayed is the law believed. And so when I look at the masses and I understand, I, I, I see, you know, and I'm not saying this, you know, I'm just, this is the way I see it. I see the Latin mass as a robust, um, uh, you know, uh, mass, and, uh, you know, to where the faithful are just being, you know, given every single thing that they need in order to accomplish the mission. And I see the Novus Ordo Mass as nothing in, inherently evil that I see. But I what I see is I see um, an anemic Mass, a Mass that does not, uh, you know, uh, prepare the people, you know, for what we're called to do at this particular junction in time and 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 spiritual warfare is is first and foremost among that that's just my opinion yeah you, uh, something interesting you said there <clears throat> the mass is the sac is a sacrifice it's the, it is the once and for all sacrifice of calvary made present the eternal now of sacred time and space that's Amen. the theology of the mass that that theology hasn't changed it's in the new catechism and so yes <clears throat> Since the mass is a sacrifice and it's not entertainment, it's not meant to be, you know, you're not meant to have a, you know, some type of emotional liver quiver. Um, in the in the Old Testament, God railed against the Jews, against the uh, against the people of the Old Testament covenants in the book of Malachi, because the Jews, the priests were giving God lame animal sacrifices and God railed against the priest and against the Israelites in the Old Testament for giving God second best, or as they say on the street, mm -hmm. sloppy seconds. Now, they in the days of Malachi, they were offering a sacrifice to God, but uh, when you read the, the text, it says they were offering uh, blind lambs, crippled lambs, lambs that were amputated, lambs that were sick and diseased. And so God railed against them because God wanted a pure lamb, under two years old, male, robust, he wanted them to offer the best of what they have, and they weren't doing that. And so that's why Malachi went, went after the Jewish people and railed against them. That's exactly what's hap what happened in 1965. The Mass is a sacrifice, and same with the Novus Ordo Mass. What's happened is we've just given God second best. That's what we've done. How? By redacting the rich prayers, by redacting uh, the... the, all, the, the uh, you know the, the the smells and bells and, and the and the uh, genuflections and the uh, and uh, uh, in the sign of the cross. By redacting all that, we haven't elevated Catholicism. We've minimized its power. We'll continue on this topic. We'll continue on this topic. Jesus nine one one. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, 
Dial 888-526-2151. Soul Patrol, Jesus 911, two-man car, Jess Romero, Paul Clay. We're talking about Ember Days. And on the next topic, we'll jump, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, Pope Francis, uh, the war, and holy places. What we, why the Holy Land is sacred to Catholics. It's not political, it's spiritual, it's biblical, it's religious. We'll talk about that in the next segment. But uh, going back to Ember Days, uh, something very interesting is that the word Ember Days comes from the word uh, in Latin, quator tempora. This is just kind of a side note, quator tempora. And the the Japanese, they have this food called tempora. Well, what happened? Catholic missionaries from Portugal, they went over to Japan to bring the gospel over there. And uh, they, during the Ember Days, the Catholics would make tempura and the japanese said wow this is good this this battered deep fried seafood and vegetables we like this and so the japanese took this lenten meal that was introduced to them by the uh by catholic missionaries back in the 16th century and they perfected it and the japanese have come out with tempura so next time you ever eat tempura guess what <laughs> that's a catholic meal that was taught to the japanese by catholic portuguese missionaries in the 16th century yep the name that's what the name the name tempura mm-hmm. it, it, it's 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 uh means temporal uh but going back yeah. to ember days paul yeah um i, I don't yes. think as go ahead no, uh, you mentioned earlier about the Old Testament and and what the Jews were doing, and it just said, you know, I thought it was uh, worth a read. So, um, you know, go into uh, um, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, uh, chapter one, verse ten. Just listen to this. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and of fat and of fatted animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my cords? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moon, Sabbath, and convocations I cannot bear your worthless assemblies, your new moon feasts, and your appointed festivals I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. You know, Jess, when we understand that God is the same today as he was yesterday, we have to remember that, listen, um, even when the church mandates days, uh, at least it used to, uh, of fasting and abstinence and so forth, um, you know, without interior conversion, without a broken and a contrite heart, you're just going through the motions. Oh, right? yeah, of course. And, of course. And, yeah. And so I just thought it was, you know, um, what God wants, you know, uh, is a robust is people who are loving who understand the faith and that's what i think has been lost in recent times i think 
the understanding about what what our role as Catholics is in the faith and how we can um, to get you know uh, as the bride of Christ as bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh flesh how we then are you know called to go out and to uh, uh, participate in this redemptive process you know uh, to offer our own bodies as sacred scripture says in a living and a holy sacrifice a- absolutely fasting is I'll tell you why fasting is power because fasting gives us internal spiritual discipline and we all need that yes. <laughs> we're, we're attacked internally most most of the temptations they could be internal or external but most temptations are internal and fasting what it yeah. does it starts helping us build internal muscle it gives it gives us internal uh, internal uh, discipline, <clears throat> and and fasting is also powerful in Catholic theology. <clears throat> the monks used to teach that that fasting, what it does, it cleanses the soul. It uh, it brings your flesh under control. We call that self mastery. In tradition, it's called self mastery or mastery over the soul, over the passions. Yeah. And so through fasting, we can also strengthen the virtue, which are holy habits, and we could also strengthen the vir- the virtue of temperance uh which is which is the uh, being able to moderate things and and fasting when you look at the old and new testament it's also a tool for obtaining a closer walk with god without a doubt mm-hmm. Be, mm-hmm. and be, because what it does i think what fasting does it also helps you disconnect from the world momentarily Amen. and it helps you connect with god i'll say it again Amen. fasting helps you disconnect to the world momentarily and it helps you connect to God and and because and, and what it and I forgot one one of the great well, many of the church fathers actually taught this so the seven deadly sins <clears throat> uh one of the seven deadly sins is gluttony the church fathers this is kind of all, right, all across the board east and west they say that the uh, the 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 least of all the seven deadly sins is uh gluttony and the and the and the, the worst is pride so the church fathers and the, uh, the, the, the masters in the spiritual life in the Middle Ages teach that if you can master, start off with gluttony. And if you can master gluttony, it's going to be easier now to start mastering the other six deadly sins. Because mm-hmm. gluttony is the easiest one to master. So once you have that power, you, you train the soul and your body to subdue you know, the, the lower appetites of your flesh, those sense appetites, and you bring it under submission, now you're going to be able to start slaying the other six deadly sins. That's an old Catholic axiom. Mm. Yeah, good. That's, yeah, that's good. That's that's good stuff. Yeah, And, and you know, just and I'm reminded in sacred scripture when when we're told that toward as we as we move as the church moves t- through history and as we get more and more toward the end it says that that people's love will grow cold mm-hmm. and you know w- and when i hear that you know i understand that what you know what's going on here people aren't just all of a sudden on fire catholics and all of a sudden they just go well you know you know i think you know i, I don't want to do that anymore for every action there's a reaction cause effect so People's love, and we're talking about people within the church, not the world, but just doesn't grow cold on its own. Because like you said, this, you know, the spiritual life is a, discipl- a mm. disciplined life. 
It is one of focus. And, and so, uh, you know, as these disciplines that Mother Church has, you know, even imposed on us, like Amber Days and so forth, as these things are removed and as the church then, you know, uh, certain things aren't emphasized and we become uh, less and less, we become like the people in, in Isaiah where, you know, uh, the, these Jewish priests were, were not giving God their best. And it, it just made God sick, you know, because uh, what does sacred scripture tell us? Would be that you are hot or cold, but because you are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I tell people this all the time. Uh, why Why does he say he'd rather you be cold? Why? Because to be honest with you, people are cold for a reason. And 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 they usually have some type of uh, anger issue going on. Some t- some reason why they're on in that situation. And once that reason is dealt with, cold then becomes super hot. Uh, where sin abounds, grace much more. Um, um, and when you understand that whoever's forgiven much will love much, you understand why God would rather you hot or cold rather than lukewarm. Yep. Amen. Uh- we're talking about ember days and fasting uh just uh sometimes i have nostalgia when i think about some of the things that we've lost and uh yes i just hope and pray that we another pope somewhere down the line restores all these things i, I can only hope and pray yes. that that happens but Amen. uh <clears throat> the church has always taught the great spiritual writers have always said that if you're struggling with a persistent sin fasting along with prayer is an effective way to help you break the enslavement to that sin of the flesh uh, so the, the church has always taught that to break a certain habit, a bad habit, a certain a certain proclivity to a certain sin. It's not only prayer, it's prayer and fasting is the effective way to break that enslavement to that particular sin. And when you look at Catholic history, I mean, there's there's a tradition that, that fasting when Catholics would do these national fast, it stopped wars. It's it's heal the terminally ill. Uh, it's, it's expelled demons during exorcisms. Uh, <clears throat> fasting, th- this is the way <clears throat> it was explained to me by a holy priest one day. He said, prayer is a sword. Okay, In fact, the word of God is called the sword of the spirit. So think about a, a Roman short sword that you have in your hand. That's prayer. It's an offensive weapon. Now, <clears throat> if you want to put some uh, edge on your sword, you get a file and you start filing that sword. It has two sides to it. That file is fasting. When you fast, what it does, it makes your prayers sharper. It makes them, it makes them more efficacious. They have more merit. So fasting and prayer work like a sword and a file work with each other. The sword is your prayer, the word of God, projected out of your mouth. But if you want to give it some real gunpowder, if you want to really give it a real edge, you put, you get a file and you file the edges. That's fasting. That's the way they interplay with each other. And so uh, this is why our Lord says in Mark 9, he tells the apostles, don't you know you, you, <laughs> you guys have been with me for three years that some demons could only be driven out through prayer and fasting. So Jesus Christ is taking them to another level of spirituality. Hmm. Good stuff, huh? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, Jess. This is hands-on Catholicism. Yeah, yeah. No, they, yeah we're giving people, this is what's called, uh, uh, we're, we're giving them uh, tools for the toolbox. We're, we're giving them yes. actual tools for the toolbox. 
the two great weapons that you'll see the church fathers talk about against the diabolic, they'll talk about, they'll actually add a third one, prayer, fasting, and humility. Those three. Right. Prayer, fasting, and humility, because when you put those three together, that triad together, it, 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 the, the believer is relying totally on God to control, right. our, to help us control our passions. And so all of us are going to face down the diabolic in our lifetime, and, and, and we're facing them down probably every single day in different instances. The three tools you need in your toolbox are prayer, mm. humility, mm-hmm. and fasting. Prayer, humility, and fasting. And, uh, <clears throat> and, and once again, I just, um, uh, I just hope somewhere down the line we get some holy pope that will come and revitalize our Catholic calendar, another Pope St. Pius X, and bring back the Ember Days. Hey, up next, we're going to be talking about Pope Francis and the war. I'm going to jump on my truck. I'm going to a doctor's appointment. So you're going to hear me on the phone with Paul Clay. Uh, I'll be on with Paul, but he'll he'll get started on the next topic. We'll be talking about the Pope, the war, and holy places. And I'll be on with you in about two or three minutes. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Welcome back to Jesus 911. Uh, I'm Paul Clay. I'm here today with Jess Romero. Jess will be on momentarily. Um, I'm on, Paul. We're talking about... I'm on, brother. Okay, great. Go ahead. So so we're talking about an article here that was written by Roberto de Matai, very famous and it's a title a very famous church yeah 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 church famous yeah go ahead really good yeah yeah so anyway uh, the title of it is pope francis the war and holy places um and he gives you a little background of, of everything but i'll just start out the article here it says there was great anticipation over the synod that opened at the vatican on october 4th uh 2023 But three days later, on October 7th, international attention shifted to the Middle East, bloodied all at once by the brutal attack on Israel by Hamas. This event, preceded by the Russian invasion of Ukraine in February 2022, uh, has constituted a new factor in disturbing the delicate global equilibrium, confirming the existence of a war on the West a war on the West at present has its epicenter in Palestine, the land where the redeemer of humanity lived and shed his blood. Uh, listen, that's just uh, the introduction. Everybody knows what's going on. Uh, we, we, we've we seen the news. We've, we've, well, really it's 24 um, seven. Yeah. And it has let me been mention something, Paul. Paul, let me mention yeah. something. Yeah. I just want to mention that as Catholics, we don't have a dog in the fight. I'll tell you why. I mean, of course, we want mm. peace and justice, and you know, we don't want to, uh, we're we're against we're against unjust wars. We're against wars, period, because wars is a result of sin, according to Our Lady of Fatima, the, the, the consequences of man's sin. But for Catholics, we we know that that's why we don't really call it Israel. When you hear practicing Catholics talk about that play, that piece of real estate, we don't say Israel. That's a political—we we say the Holy Land. 
because that's the land where our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ walks. So, in so far as the as we have those shrines that have been kept alive by the Catholic Church for two thousand years, that's what's holy and sacred to us, because that piece of real estate uh, is 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 not something that's going to be permanent. It's temporal. We as Catholics fight for the new Jerusalem. We fight for the new Amen. Israel. And we Amen. know that the new Israel is the Catholic Church. And yes. so even ancient Israel, uh, the Jews, the Israelites, the Hebrews, whatever you want to call them, they have to, in some way, shape, or form, they have to encounter the Messiah, and they have to enter into the new covenant. How that's going to happen? Mm. Above my pay grade, I don't know. But in order for you to get to God the Father, to the place called heaven, to the place they call paradise, you need to enter in through the new covenant, which is the eternal covenant. So as Catholics, we don't have that view of the Holy Land like our Protestant uh, predispensationalist brothers, Paul. You probably know a little bit about that more than I do. Is yes. because in, in, in the John Nelson Darby camp, uh, where uh, John Nelson Darby, who started, basically broke off from the Episcopalian Church and started fundamentalism, uh, he's the one that uh, started Plymouth, the- Plymouth Brethren. Plymouth. That's what he. He's that's what he got. Teaching. Oh, yeah. And so, for a lot of our our our, our brothers in Christ, our separated brothers, Protestants that are that are premillennial dispensationalists, for them the Holy Land, it's they look at it as. Jesus is going to set up a thousand-year one-world government. So for them, Paul, it has more earthly, more political connotations. Not for us. For us, the word rapture means constant ecstasy. (laughs) That event will happen. Those believers here on planet Earth that that are in a state of grace, they're going to be taken up to heaven, body, and soul. And so the, the only point that I'm making is, we want peace, but we we don't uh, we don't have the view of that piece of real estate like our Protestant brothers do in many yeah. instances. Go ahead, Paul. Yeah, uh, boy, you said a lot, Jess. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll just say this in, in comment. I get a lot of people asking questions. Well, what's really going on in there? And what's uh, you know, I've had guys that work with that call me up and say, "What? Well, can you give me just the rundown on so I can really understand what's going on?" over in the Middle East. And I'll tell you this, Jess, number one, um, you mentioned, you mentioned John Nelson Darby. Okay. He, uh, as you said, he, he was an ex Anglican priest who ended up, uh, you know, becoming involved and being a leader within the Plymouth Brethren movement. And if you know the history, um, in, in, in Israel, it's kind of interesting that, um, there, uh, after the Turkish Ottoman Empire was defeated, it fell under the purview of the British Empire. And the British Empire being Protestant, right, at this time, uh, it had been Protestant for a long time. Uh, you know, there was a bunch of people in here who were basically cr- Christian Zionists. OK, and so. Uh, influenced by this uh, this eschatological view, that is the you know the end times view that was a popular amongst many fundamentalists and uh, evangelical churches that were springing up, you know, always drew a distinction between Israel and the church. 
the two shall never meet. And so, uh, uh, whereas the church, as you pointed out, Jess, understood that the, the, the New Testament calls the church the Israel of God. Now, that being Correct. said, uh, from, from Christian fundamentalism sprang up, Jewish fund, uh, uh, I mean, excuse me, from uh, Christian Zionism sprung up Jewish Zionism. And so after World War II, when the, when the United Nations was formed, that's when the Jews got together. And, and of course, the, um, the United Nations gave them that plot of land, but it was influenced by basically Protestant Zionists and Jewish Zionists that, you know, uh, you know, that, that put such an emphasis on, on the statehood of Israel. Now, that being said, I do believe that there is a distinction made. I think Paul makes that distinction when he talks about all Israel being saved uh, in the end, but that salvation doesn't, you know, take place in Jesus, uh, like the error that they teach that Jesus is going to be reigning for a thousand years on earth. And, you know, there will practically be no disease and everything. You know, if you're familiar with Protestantism, uh, you understand that they believe that the rapture and the second coming of Christ are two separate and distinct events that the, that yeah. they will be raptured out. At Catholic, for Catholics, it occurs at the same time. That generation yes. that's here on planet Earth that's in a state of grace. Yes. They'll be caught up in the air, body and soul. Uh, but that that event is one event that at the end of at the end of time when Christ comes back, it's not two separate events, like you said. Yes, and then and then and then the, and the other problem that the Protestant view has is that if Jesus Christ then is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, and and we know that the Old Testament is nothing more than types and shadows, and the New Testament then represents the fulfillment and the realities. As you know, and an example would be my shadow is a representation of me, but it's not, you know, it's not the fullness of who I am, and it's just a a representation. But I'm much greater than my shadow, and so Jesus then in in fulfilling all of that, you know, uh, to return back to temple sacrifices and things like that uh, is really like a slap in the face <laughs> uh, because, uh, you know, you know, they have the opportunity to receive our Lord and Savior. Uh, and, and again, um, uh, temporarily, the Bible says they've been given, the Jewish people as a whole have been given a spirit of stupor, eyes that see not and ears that hear not. And in their uh, rejection of the Messiah brought salvation to us. It's a deep topic, Jess, but it's it's it's, oh, it's interesting. Oh, people, yeah. people write PhDs, PhDs thesis just on Romans 11. I mean, entire wow. 400 page thesis on this. So, yeah, it's a deep yes. topic. But uh, I'll just say something simple that's understandable is that how are we going to have peace in the world is when the Jews and the Muslims both accept the real Jesus as their Lord, Savior, God, and King because he's the Prince of Peace. Anybody Amen, brother. Jesus, and that includes America, by the way. We're, fought, we're going mm -hmm. down the rabbit hole, Paul. In so yep. far as we keep rejecting Jesus, guess what? We're going to reap a whirlwind upon ourselves because out, apart from Christ, there is no peace. Politics can't yes. give permanent peace. Politics, yes. 
stop war, cessation of war. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The peace that we're looking for is that is that relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, and that it only can, that peace can only come through Jesus Christ. And so, yeah. The fact that the Jews are blind and the Muslims are blinded to this as well, this is why they've been at each other's throats for centuries. Yeah, and just when you when you understand what sacred scripture really teaches, and I tell people that I quote this one a lot: "The heart of man is desperately sick, exceedingly wicked, above all things, and who can know it?" That's God's assessment. So man left to himself, that is to say, uh, damaged through, uh, you know, original sin, that sin of Adam that has been passed on from generation to generation to generation that can only be removed uh, by um, baptism and, yeah. you know, and, 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 and being brought into a right relationship. I think we're going to a hard break. We'll pick it up on the okay. next topic. Uh, we'll, we'll continue talking on this topic. Jesus 911, two-man car. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Welcome back to Jesus 911. I'm Paul Clay. I'm here with, uh, we got Jess Romero on the phone, and we're we're talking about what's going on in the Holy Land. And we're, um, I think, uh, right before the break, uh, I was given a little background on as to what was going on, but uh, I noticed that Jess had sent me uh, an email, and it was uh, uh, regarding a prayer that was pray that was actually composed by Leo the Thirteenth in eighteen ninety nine. And if you want to know how we Catholics uh, prayed, uh, let's go ahead and read that prayer. Most sweet yeah, Jesus, ahead, yeah. Most sweet Jesus, redeemer of the human race, look down upon us humbly, prostrate before thine altar. We are thine, and thine we wish to be. But to be more surely united to thee, behold, each one of us freely consecrates ourselves today to thy most sacred heart. Many indeed have never known thee. Many too, despising thy precepts, have rejected thee. Have mercy on them all, most merciful Jesus, and draw them to thy sacred heart. Be thou king, O Lord, not only of the faithful children, uh, be thou king, O Lord, not only of the faithful children who have never forsaken thee, but also of the prodigal children who have abandoned thee. Grant that they may quickly return to their father's house, lest they die of wretchedness and hunger. Be thou king of those who are deceived by erroneous opinions or whom discord keeps aloof 
and call them back to the harbor of truth and unity of faith so that they may be but one flock and of one shepherd. Be thou king of all those who are still involved in the darkness of idolatry or of Islamicism and refuse not to draw them into the light of thy king of the kingdom of God. Turn thine eyes of mercy toward the children of the race. Once thy chosen people. Notice that once thy chosen people. Once, yeah. Oh, yeah. Of old, of old, they called down upon themselves the blood of the Savior. May it now descend upon them as a labor of redemption and of life. Grant, O Lord, to thy church assurance of freedom and immunity from harm. Give peace and order to all nations. Make the earth resound from pole to pole with one cry. Praise to the divine heart that wrought our salvation. To it be glory and honor forever. Amen. What a prayer, Jess. <laughs> Paul, that's, that's, that's a, a proper ecumenical prayer. Yes. That's, that's a that's the way that's the way all Catholic ecumenical prayers should sound like. Yes. Yes. And it yes. just it just speaks the truth. Uh the you know, and, and notice the emphasis. You know, it's I just I remember it's not mean. Yeah. No. It's not a no. prayer no. spirited. It's just it's just truthful. Yeah. If what Jesus said, I am the door, no man cometh unto the Father but by me, right? If that be true, then this is this prayer is is a great act of love. It's a great, you know, it's 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 it listen, if if you see somebody in error or you see somebody in sin, what are we called to do, Jess, as as, as Catholics? We're called to confront them, right? And to and to correct them. Love corrects, yeah. sacred scripture says. And to be silent is one of the most unloving things that, that you can do. If you know, uh if you're silent when you see somebody's Literally, their soul is in danger, and you choose to be silent. How in the world does that translate as love? Yeah, and I like what that prayer that you just read from Pope Leo the Thirteenth. It basically covers everybody on planet Earth because we're praying for the conversion of pagans. Uh, okay, that's yeah. that's those are secular humanists. Those are people that are just godless and nuns and yeah. atheists and agnostics. Then we pray. For Islam, the conversion of Islam, which is a sizable yes. religion right now, it's about 1.5 billion people, and then yes. we pray for the conversion of the Jews because their five yes. covenants—Adam, Abraham, Noah, Moses, and David—those covenants aren't salvific. They don't save them. Those covenants point to the final covenant, which is Jesus. So we also pray for their conversion so they they can be completed. They can, yes. as far as Scott Hahn says, they can be fulfilled. You're, you're only going to get fulfilled. Uh, by entering into the covenant with Christ, but but right. going back, Paul, to what's happening in 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 the Middle East, on a human level, uh, there there are some things that we can do, and I'll tell you one thing, just from taking a look at history, whenever you have mm -hmm. Democrats in the in the White House or rhinos, you know what you got, Paul? War. Mm. Just mm. just look at our life, the, the the sixty years that we've been here, and just. Going through a little little trajectory of all the presidents that we've had wars under, they're either Democrats or rhinos. You know, uh, yeah. We had you and you and I experienced four years of peace 
with uh, with with Donald Trump that they're trying to put behind bars. And he says, yeah. if I become president again, he says, I'm going to parlay deals. He says, and I'm going to bring peace everywhere. We we one of the problems that we have in our country, just going off onto kind of the more the temporal, is that uh, I Paul, these, some of these career politicians like Joe Biden, uh, b- besides the fact that he's faithless and godless, they're just mm-hmm. they're just bought off by lobbyists. And one of the things that we one of the advantages that we had with Trump who was kind of like our Cyrus the Persian king, you know, pagan, womanizer, rich, everything else, is that he understood he kind of ran the country like a business. And we were safer for that, Paul. That's my take. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Looking at it from a political standpoint, Jess, uh, your observations are, 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 are sound sound to me. I mean, I, I, I can't argue with that. But uh, before the break, I was talking about as to why. And I talked about the heart of man being desperately sick. You see, the Bible teaches just that the natural man does not receive the things of God, nor can he. That is to say, he does not have the ability to. So, you know, I used to teach my kids and they'd say, Daddy, can I go outside? And I would say, well, you can go outside. You have energy, you have desire, you have a will, but you may not. You know, and I was teaching that May is asking permission, right? And Ken is having the ability to do something. And when the Bible says that the natural man does not receive the things of God, nor can he, he does not have the ability to. Why? Because he needs interior conversion. He needs the the sacraments. He needs the life of God poured into him so that his heart of stone could become a heart of flesh so that he could, the Bible says the natural man cannot understand these things or do these things. Why? Because they are spiritually discerned. And the problem with yeah. man is, and, and, yeah, go ahead, Jess. Oh, and the Jews and the Muslims, the Jews and the Muslims and pagans, they're all natural men. Yes. And and right now, natural that's men. exactly right. They are, they are essentially members of the human race that are saying we can build the tower of Babel. We can, we can reach God on our own terms. We don't have to reach him on his terms. And we know that that was a losing proposition, just the tower of, of Babel, right? Uh, you know, so, so no, we know that when Adam sinned in the garden and what did he do? He, you know, he took fig leaves and, and covered his nakedness, but no, God, had to provide animal skins. Why? Because God gave Adam what he needed, uh, and 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 God was telling Adam that listen, something had to die, and in this case, you know, it was animals that he covered their nakedness with. But in reality, um, you know, uh, without the, at- the the atonement that Jesus Christ brought by shedding His blood, let me quote sacred scripture: without the shedding of blood. There is no forgiveness of sin and not just any blood, but the blood of the uh, the only begotten son of God, because that blood is the only blood that can be redeemed. And by the way, we are able to receive him body, blood, soul and divinity sacramentally uh, at holy mass. And that is, by the way, uh, uh, the Catholic Faith is the only faith that you can do that in. That's right. You know, one of the beautiful things about in the Catholic Church and the rite of baptism, specifically, it's, it's extenuated more, heightened more in the old rite of baptism, 
is that yep. the unbaptized, they're outside the gates. You'll, you'll hear that, that, yes. that theology outside the gates. Yes. And when they're baptized, from out, they, they start, the baptism starts outside the church in the old riot. They bring them in. There's several exorcisms that are done. Baptism, mm-hmm. according to the, the ancient Catholic teaching, what it does is you're unprotected. You're outside the gates of the church, outside the gates of the sanctuary. Baptism brings you into the gates of the sanctuary. Now you're yes. protected by Christ the King. So the, yes. the baptism, is it's not that you're a demon, you're possessed, you're evil. No, you're unprotected. To be unbaptized, the theology in the, in the old rite is you're unprotected. You're outside the gates of the church. The sanctuary is the church. Once you're baptized, you're brought into the sanctuary of the church, and now you're protected by Christ the King. And, and so yes. Jews, Muslims, pagans, they're outside the gates, Paul. They're unprotected mm. from the devil, the world, and the flesh. And so it doesn't yes. surprise me that uh, we have this war right now, and we have the possibility of getting into three wars right now. We, uh, yes. uh, Ukraine, uh, Israel, and now the, uh, China's uh, ramping up to attack Taiwan. So it doesn't surprise right. me. When you don't know Christ, right. you're under the dominion of Satan. Yes, that's right. We have the, the, the privilege and the, to have the indelible seal, his seal put upon us at baptism. And, and the reality is, is, um, you know, uh, things aren't going, listen, man can try and try and try and try. And yeah, you might get peace temporarily for short amounts of time. But in the end, as Jesse alluded to earlier, you will not have peace in the world without embracing our Lord and Savior, the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. It is an impossibility. And what God is, you know, man, I think man continues. I think. I, okay. <laughs> yeah. You've been listening to yeah. Jesus 911. I don't hear the music, but I'm sure it's coming on. Thanks a lot for listening to us. Up next, Gary Machuda, hands on apologetics. Uh, thanks a lot for tuning in. We are EOW. End of watch. We are out. God bless you. Keep the faith.